Let's get into the Word of God this morning. Again, James 3, we're going to start in verse 13. Before we do that, let's set this up a little bit. Last week, we were, you know what, in the passage before this, and we saw James talking about the tongue. And boy, he gave us many illustrations about the tongue. And really, none of them were good. (laughs) We saw that the tongue is set on fire by hell. And James really pointing out that it's not a few tongues, it's all of our tongues. As he says, they're all of a stumble in many things. He gave us these illustrations and just showed the damage that can be done with the tongue. And then he finished out the passage by saying, brother, these things should not be. And then from there, we looked throughout the book of James and we looked at four or five things that really can help us with our tongue and truths that we have been given in this passage in particular, in this epistle in particular to help us. Because we know the tongue's connected to the heart. And if we got a tongue issue, really, it's more so of a heart issue. And so if you weren't with us last week or if you want to listen to that again, maybe last week you heard that and you said, boy, yeah, the tongue's really bad. I'm going to work on it this week. And instead, uh, you know, instead of working on it, it got, you know, it amplified all the more. That's online. That's out there on CD. And so I encourage you to take a listen to that again. This morning, though, we're going to be considering our conduct. And just like the tongue, our conduct as well is connected to our hearts. And we're going to see James in verse 13, touching on godly wisdom. And again, the Lord willing, on New Year's Day, we're going to go deeper into that. But he talks about godly wisdom done in meekness and, again, works and good conduct done in meekness of godly wisdom. And then he contrasts that with conduct that's full of bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, and lying against the truth, and talks about how that's the wisdom of the earth, its sensual wisdom, and its demonic wisdom. And he really shows how when we walk in that wisdom, when we walk in bitter envy, when we walk in self-seeking, when we walk in a boastful tongue, lie against the truth, listen, it's not to our benefit, but to our demise. And it produces instability and confusion and every evil thing. And so there's so much to glean from in these few verses here, in verse 13 through 16, Let's read it together and dive into this, and I just pray that we're in a place this morning where, again, we make this personal. There's a lot of things that come up here, and it's easy to see some of these attributes in others, but we don't want to focus in on others this morning. That won't do us any good. We want to focus in on ourselves, amen? So let's read here. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now notice how he starts here. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I hope when we read that, I hope when that went forth, your response in your heart wasn't, oh, that's me. I do, I have wisdom, I have understanding, because if you had wisdom and understanding, you wouldn't say it. For if you had it, again, you wouldn't say it, and if you say it, you don't have it. Not my opinion here, not my conclusion. That's what God's word says. Proverbs twenty six twelve. do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Romans 1.22, professing to be wise, they became fools. So this is good to come to this right off the bat. Because maybe even in the exhortation, let's look to ourselves. 
not others. And upon reading that, you're like, well, I got wisdom and understanding. This is for everyone else there. Boy, we've had a big light shine on those hearts that know this is for you too. Again, this is for all of us. The more we grow in wisdom and understanding, one of the benefits of that, one of the byproducts of that is understanding how much wisdom and understanding we lack and how much more that we need. And so we ask this question, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he says, let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So if you are wise, if you do have understanding, don't say it, but rather in meekness of wisdom, show it. Again, talk is cheap. And we'll see here in a minute, the boasting is demonic. Earlier in the epistle, James 1.22, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Notice you're deceiving yourself. And there's so many times in this epistle where, the, where James talks about self-deception. And at some point here as we're going through this, we need to take a week just to talk about self-deception de- de- uh, specifically because he talks about it so much. And we don't want to be in a place where we're self-deceived, saying, I got wisdom, I got meekness, I got understanding. When we have none of those things, we are easily fooled. We are easily deceived by the flesh. We're easily deceived by the enemy. So again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct. And we should ask the question, show who? Who do I need to show? Who should see by my conduct that I have wisdom and understanding. Now, so many times we're concerned with showing others, right? We want everyone to see our wisdom, our understanding. We want everyone to see our good conduct. But listen, that's a trap. First and foremost, we should be concerned with what God is seeing in regards to our lives, our conduct, and even more importantly, our hearts. Because he doesn't just see our conduct, he sees the motivation of our heart. He sees what's behind our conduct. He sees, again, what we're thinking. Proverbs 5.21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. Notice here, and he ponders all his paths. Everything we do is before the Lord, and the Lord ponders what we're doing. He considers what we're doing. He considers, again, our motivation. He considers our mindset and what we do. You're like, well, he's too busy to do that. There's so much. No, he's God. He ponders all of our paths individually. Proverbs 5.13, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. See, when it comes to other men, they just see when we're before them, right? But they don't see when we're alone. And they just see what we show on the outward, but they don't see what's going on on the inward. But see, the Lord, again, he sees us not only when we're gathered here, but he sees us when we're at home alone He sees it when we get in our car with our family and we drive home. He's there at every conversation, at work, online, with every text message, with every Snapchat, with every email. He sees it all. And yes, we know men say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but guess what? He sees everything in Vegas as well. He sees it all. And this is is something that should stir a reverence in our heart. It's been said before, the test of a man's character is not how he behaves when others are around him. It's how he behaves when he's alone. That's when someone is seen for who they really are. 
So bottom line, it doesn't matter how wise we think we are. What matters is what God sees going on in our lives and what God sees in our hearts, what God sees in our motivation and so forth. And we got to understand that we're going to give an account for those things. Now praise God again, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, positionally we're right with the living God. Are you in that place this morning? Can you say amen to that? We're all sinners in this room. We fall short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection, and we all grossly fall short of it. We absolutely do. But God sent his son, born of a virgin. God became man. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, lived that perfect life that we could not live. And when he went to the cross of Calvary, it was to atone for our sins, that a sinful or a sinless man would die for sinners. The wages of sin is death. He was buried in the grave. He conquered death when he rose from the grave. That if we would humble our hearts, turn from faith in ourselves, turn from our sin, our ways, to put our faith and trust in him to be our Lord and Savior, we have salvation. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb, no longer under the law that condemns us, but under grace that sets us free. Positionally, we're right with him. But practically, now we are called to live like people that, that are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're called to walk now in this law of liberty that we have. And absolutely, we're going to give an account of our lives. James talks about this. Jesus talks about this. This is talked about throughout Scripture. And it's all the more this should get our attention. 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts then each one's praise will come from God. So we're going to give an account for our lives. We don't want to get caught up with trying to show men our good conduct, trying to show men, you know what, our good works. And I'll tell you, if you do get caught up in that, you've got to understand that the way fallen men think and the way the world thinks and the way carnal Christians think is far different than the way that the Lord thinks. And it may, may be very well if you're getting praise from the world and you're getting praise from a lukewarm church, that's very problematic. Because the truth of the matter is, the things of God are foolishness to the world. And when we're walking with meekness of wisdom and we're walking according to the word, listen, many in the world are going to mock your life and say, you're a fool. And many others that are walking and living a carnal Christian life, that are living a sensual life that the Bible addresses here, that we can fall into as believers, they're going to misunderstand us. Jesus was not understood. So many of the apostles, they were not understood. And so it's a trap to fall in, wanting to get the approval of men or be seen by men, because if that's our motivation, then we will begin to cater our lives to those individuals to get their approval. And the things that are highly esteemed amongst men, Jesus says, are abominations to God. So who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show. Notice here, by his good conduct. Good here means beautiful. It means worthy. Conduct means behavior or conversation. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians 1.27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come, notice here, and see you, or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the 
faith of the gospel. So he says, whether I see your life or whether I hear your life, I want to hear that you're walking worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we got, again, Christmas coming up in a week. And there's going to be some children, they get gifts, and they're going to receive that gift in a manner that is worthy of receiving that gift. And there's going to be other kids that aren't. We've all seen the YouTube videos, right? You're like, I don't need YouTube. I've seen it firsthand. Where a child is given a gift that they didn't earn, they didn't go out and work for it, it was a gift given to them. In some cases, it's even the exact gift that they wanted. And they get that thing, and they scramble down, and they open it up, and they make a mess ripping the thing apart, and they get it. And not one time in the process, or even after the process, do they stop and say, thank you for this gift. But they take it, and they act like it was owned to, owed to them. And then they take it out, and they use it for a day, and then they grow tired of it, or they break it because they mishandle it. They don't handle it with reverence, and then they move on to the next thing. Is that kid worthy of that gift? No, a little bugger needs to be taken out and disciplined for that kind of behavior. <laughs> didn't say thank you for it, didn't take care of it, didn't honor it. Jesus laid down his life for us. We were damned to hell. He laid down his life for us. Is there any gift more greater than that? And now he says walk worthy of that gift. And walking worthy of that gift is honoring him, glorifying him. Again, wanting to walk under the lordship of Jesus Christ, not saying thank you, Lord, or, or you know what, save me, Lord, but I don't want to thank you daily. I don't want to rejoice daily. I want to go do what I want to do. That is not good conduct. That is not worthy conduct. That's not worthy behavior. That's not worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, that's going to take away from our lives here. It's going to take away from the glory of God. It's going to take away from our witness. And it will take away from our eternal reward. And I know that seems so far off, but the day's going to come. We're going to stand before the Lord at the beam of seat judgment. And he's going to say, what did you do with your life? Did you waste it or did you use it for my glory? And as we'll see here in a minute, listen, our flesh, the world, the enemy says, don't worry about that, live for right now. It's opposed to that kind of thinking. It's opposed to, again, living for the Lord. It says, deify yourself, live for yourself, live for your own honor, your own praise, your own recognition, your own five senses being pleasured, and so forth. So again, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct. Then notice here, let that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So again, his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So it's not just doing the word, but it's doing it with the right heart. It's doing it in meekness. It's doing it according to the wisdom of the word of God. So it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. It's the state of our heart when we do it. Much of 1 Corinthians 13 addresses this, doing things with a heart of love, with a heart of humility. Notice there, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Boy, giving all of your goods to feed the poor, giving your body to be burned, Boy, this is some pretty impressive conduct, is it not? But if there's not meekness of wisdom there, if there's not love there, 
it is not to our profit because it's being done again out of a desire to glorify ourselves. It's being done out of a heart of envy. It's being hard, done out of a heart of self-seeking and so forth. And again, God sees all of those motives. He sees what's behind that conduct. Now, meekness is the right, right use of power. It is tame power. It's humility. It's power under control. This is seen throughout the life of Jesus Christ. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, what? Lowly and riding on a donkey. That's tame power right there. And some worshiped him, and then others said, rebuke these people from worshiping you. What's wrong with you? And this is God Almighty. You talk about tame power. Listen, if I was riding on that donkey and I was God and he backs ass like that, they'd be done just like that. I mean, that's where our pride is, right? And then even more so, Jesus on the cross of Calvary, God Almighty taking the wrath to us upon himself. You talk about power? We would be dissolved like that. Listen, men of God, when they are before the Lord in the scriptures, and when they get caught up in the third heaven, they're on their face, and he has to touch them even to give them the strength to stand up before him. Could you imagine being on a cross, taking the wrath through all mankind on yourself? And here's the Lord taking that because he who knew no sin became sin for us. And then in the midst of that, you talk about a controlled power. Men are spitting on him. They're, you know what, mocking him. They are beating him. Two criminals on his side, disrespecting him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the right use of power. Meekness is not self-promoting. Meekness seeks for the glory of God in our works, not for our own glory. And that's a wise thing. It's foolish to do things for our own glory. It's foolish to do things, again, to promote ourselves. It's not for our embitterment. It is to our demise. We're going to see this. And we got to know this because, again, our flesh rages against that. The mindset of the world rages against that. And the enemy rages against that. When man sinned in the garden, we took on a fallen nature. And what, to, what, what nature did we take on? Man said, I want to be God. I want the glory. I want the honor. I want to be worshipped. I want to make the decisions. And that's in all of us in our flesh. Warring against what we know to be true in the spirit. And knowing what we know to be true in the word of God. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. And notice Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, even understanding that I'm going to give an account for my life, my Father who loves me, loves me enough to hold me accountable for my actions, that makes us start walking in some wisdom. Listen, if there's a child just running amok, and there's no parent to correct them, there's no authority that they fear, it's going to lead them to do a lot of stupid things. But if that same child all of a sudden has a parent who loves them, who provides for them, who holds them and encourages them and sows into them, but also holds them accountable and tells them, listen, if you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, I am going to discipline you and I'm dis disciplining you out of love. 
Because I want you to have a better future, and if you play the fool, it's going to be to your demise. That puts a fear in that child, does it not? And it's a fear for their good. I've heard someone say recently, listen, uh, there's no woodshed that God takes us to. We're under grace. That's utter foolishness. Were you better off when you were a son of the devil who encouraged that behavior? Is that a picture of grace? A picture of grace is a loving father who corrects you for, again, your benefit for his glory. So again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The more we know him, the more we're going to understand. The more we know his word, the more we're going to get it. The more lights are going to come on. The more we're going to be illuminated to the truth. The more our minds will be renewed. So we need to have a healthy fear of God. We need to know we're going to give an account for our lives here and when we stand before him. And we need to get to know the Lord because, listen, the wisdom that's being talked about here isn't going to come from our flesh. It's not going to come from the world. And you better believe it's not going to come from the enemy. So bottom line, good works done with a humble heart and with a steadfast power. Now notice verse 14. But... But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. If those things are there, instead of meekness of wisdom, don't lie. Don't suppress it right now. Don't say, but I want glory. I want to seek self. It's okay if I'm envious of others, that I want what they have. If you lie against the truth, you're not going to get set free. It's not going to be for your benefit. You may be thinking, if I get that attention, if I get what they have, it will be for my benefit. But that mindset is not to your benefit. It is to your demise. Bitter envy, bitterness here. It's related to anger and demonstrated as a great dissatisfaction with God's sovereignty in your life. It's bitterness that arises out of living to please self instead of living to please the Lord. Envy, it's jealousy and dislike felt towards another because they have a position, possession, or quality one desires. Envy here carries the meaning of selfish ambition and zeal. So it's not just selfish ambition. It's selfish ambition with a zeal. There's so many examples of this in the scripture. Think of a man in Acts 8. His name was Simon. But they knew him as Simon the sorcerer. And remember down there in Samaria, the gospel had been brought, but they had not yet received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John go down, they begin to lay hands on these believers, and they begin to receive power from upon high. It's manifest and seen in different gifts that the Lord's giving them. And this man Simon, who at one time was very prominent in this community, all of a sudden is not prominent anymore. And so he doesn't want to miss out on the new thing, so he goes along with what's being said, and he's even baptized, because he's realizing, i got to go along with this, or I'm going to lose my whole audience. And then when he sees that the Holy Spirit was giving on, given through the laying on hands, he came to Peter, and he said, listen, how much do I need to pay to obtain this power that you have? And he wasn't wanting, again that ability to lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit for the glory of God and for those people, but he wanted to be the guy everyone came to to lay hands on, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. Sounds like a few televangelists that I know. And this is what Peter said to him in Acts 8, 20. 
Your money perished with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart. Your heart, your heart is not right in the sight of God. He said it once, I've said it three times. 22, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. And now notice 23, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. That's what drove him. Bitterness, envy, self-seeking. He wanted to be deified. He wanted the attention. He wanted it to be about him. He thought, my life will be better if everyone is praising me versus everyone praising the Lord. My life will be better if all this new, you know, a Christian thing revolves around me versus revolves around the Christ of Christianity. And there's so many areas where we fall into these traps. There's so many areas where we get envious of others. You see it throughout Scripture. Genesis 26, the Philistines are envious of Isaac's blessings and wealth. In Genesis 30, Rachel's envious of Leah because she's having children, so she's envious of what she has, and she's envious of her position with Jacob. In Genesis 37, we see Joseph's brothers are envious of him. They're envious of his position in the home and even the dreams that God's giving him. We know that Pilate knew the Jews wanted Jesus crucified in Matthew 27, 18 because they were envious of the Lord. These so-called teachers of the Bible who understood the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah rejected him because they were envious of the attention that he got that they thought that they should be getting. And you see this addressed in the epistles, envy in the church. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, are you so carnal? For where envy, strife, and divisions among you are not carnal, behaving like mere, mere men. For one says, I'm a Paul, another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? And then Philippians 1, 15, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing to add affliction to my chains. And again, on the surface, you say, wow, they're preaching Christ, but God knows the heart they're doing out of selfish ambition. Using Jesus as a platform to glorify themselves. So bitter envy, then he talks about self-seeking here. And this is serving to promote self. It's interesting, this word in the, in the Greek can be trans, translated strife. And it's the word the Greeks use to describe a politician canvassing for votes. We're familiar with that, are we not? Campaigning. Hey, vote for me. And how many times that talks about, again, all the things I've done and all the things I'm going to do and where I've come from and so forth, and then ripping apart this other person to make yourself look so much better. That should not be in Christianity. We shouldn't be canvassing. We shouldn't be campaigning to get people to follow us, to get a little following, to get a little team. Matthew 6, 1, take heed that you do not... Do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. And surely I say to you, they have their reward. Again, it's not for our benefit. If we're doing things out of envy and selfish ambition to get recognized by men, and maybe you're getting recognized by men, that's your reward. You want your reward for men? You want, wow, you know, what a, what a neat guy, a dad of, I want to be more like you. And then you stand before the Lord. He says, you had your reward. 
No pressure stone for you. That's wood, hay, and stubble. Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Notice, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And listen, this can happen to the best of us, especially when we have that mindset, I'm so wise, I'm so understanding, I'm, you know, so the model of Christianity. I deserve to be recognized. How many times in the ministry of Christ did Jesus rebuke the disciples for arguing about which one of them was the greatest? There's one time in particular, they're walking down the road and Jesus is right there with them, but a little bit ahead of them. And they're arguing why the Lord is with them, which one of them is the greatest. And then they stop and they said, hey, Jesus says, what were you talking about on the road? And no one answers them a thing because they knew that he knew what they were talking about. And he says, listen, who desires to be great among you, let him become servant of all. Follow my example. Now again, notice here, back to read this verse. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, this is huge, in your hearts. This is poison. This is rottenness to the bones. These are really, really bad things. Bitter envy and self-seeking. You do not want this in your heart. They are killers. If you went to a physician tomorrow and said, you have a heart disease, hopefully that would get your attention, right? We say, this is an important thing. I got a heart disease. What can I do to reverse the effects of this heart disease? Is there anything I can do to get healing? Well, this is worse than a physical disease. This is a spiritual disease with eternal consequences. And boy, these things get down and become a root, not to our benefit, but to our demise. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up, notice here, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. These things cause trouble. These things defile others. No one sees the Lord. They see, again, us. And we're even thinking they're seeing the Lord, but really they're seeing us. There's a lot of things where men are seen, and we're thinking, what a great work, but God's not being seen. And the Lord's going to reveal those things. Listen to Proverbs 14.30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. This word rot, it means a state of decay usually accompanied by an offensive odor. And boy, have you ever been around self-seeking, self-promoting people? You know, the ones that aren't as tactful and masculine? Boy, it just is an odor, is it not? You like hanging out with that? Like, man, I like being around that guy. He just talks about himself nonstop. I just want, man, be my bro. You just talk about yourself so much. I love it. Tell me more about you. We talked about it last week. Some people are very boastful. Others are kind of sly in doing it. Rot is the process of decay caused by a bacteria or fungal action or infection. And that's what sin is. It's a bacteria in us. It's a fungal infection of the spiritual sorts. Rot, it also means to break down or waste away. Versus to edify and build up. And we don't want to waste our life in Jesus Christ. Amen? 
and our flesh is seek self and you'll be better off. But it's not the case. We need to get our minds renewed in this. So he says next, don't boast and lie against your truth. And again, pride loves to boast. Self loves to boast. Envy loves to boast. 1 Peter 5, 5, be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And listen to Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But we lie to ourselves, and the world lies to us and the enemy lies to us. It says, listen, promote self. Be about self. You should have what they have. It's okay to be envious of them. If you get this stuff, then you're going to be fulfilled. No, you get the stuff and then you want more, right? There's no fulfillment in it. People get trampled and the Lord's not glorified and the Lord's not seen. So he says, don't boast and again, lie against the truth. So you're lying out of pride and you're lying against the truth. And who's the truth? The truth's Jesus Christ. The truth, wisdom from above. We have to deal in truths. The truth of the word, the truth of Jesus Christ, and then listen, the truth about us in light of the word. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's why we don't want to lie against the truth. Do we want to live a life of deception? Do we want to live a life of bondage? Or do we want to live a life that makes us free, where we're walking in the liberty of Jesus Christ to his glory? Again, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 6, talking about love. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And if there's bitter envy and self-seeking, let's not rejoice in that iniquity, but instead let's rejoice in the truth that is exposing that iniquity so that we can walk in the fullness of what God has for us. And listen, we're in a sad state of affairs in this world today because there's so much ignoring of the truth. Political correctness, listen, the bulk of it is ignoring the truth for the sake of not hurting someone's feelings, and it's to our demise. Yeah, we should be sensitive, we should be compassionate, compassionate, but we have to deal in truth. But listen, it's a mark of the end of the age. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. The coming of the lawless one is according to the workings of Satan, with all power signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the mindset of this age. He didn't receive the love of the truth. The truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? But again, we got to understand, this is to the glory of God and to our benefit. Now notice verse 15, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. What a powerful scripture. So bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, and lying against the truth it's earthly, it's sensual, and it is demonic. It does not come from God. If our motive of ministry is to be noticed by others, and boy, I'm doing a great work by God, and all these people are noticing me, and I need more to notice me, that is not coming from the Lord. 
If that's the motivation of our life, it's not coming from the Lord. And again, our flesh wants that. We all have that in our flesh. All of us do. We took on that sin nature. And again, what was the sin? I want to be God. I want to be recognized. I want my will to be done. I want to be glorified. God shares his glory with no man. Listen to this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Really listen to this because it shows where we once were before we came to Christ. And he made you alive who were dead, dead in trespasses of sin. Notice here, in, once you, in which you once walked according, notice here, the course of the world. That's earthly wisdom. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works on the sons of disobedience. That's the demonic. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. That's sensual wisdom. Fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath just as the others. We've been delivered from that. Why do we want to go back and walk in that? But we have these things raging against truth. Again, Lucifer, when he fell, it was from envy and self-seeking. We read in Isaiah 14, he said, I'll ascend upon high. I'll be like the mighty one. And God said, no, you weren't. You're going to be cut down. And then he brought that light of man. And he said, listen, again, if you eat of the tree, you won't die. You'll be like God. And man ate of that tree. Where's page six? There it is. And now the Bible says in 1 John, men are under the sway of the wicked one. Think about the plain of Shinar there in Genesis 11. Man gathered together. God said, after the flood, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. They said, no, we're going to come together and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Babel 2.0 is being built in the world today. How many governments point people to God in the world today? They want to be God. And then again... We took on that sin nature that's opposed to the Lord, sensual. That idea of promoting self and pleasuring our five senses over serving the Lord. Jude 10, but I speak, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. For whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So like a brute beast, this is what I feel, this is what I'll pursue. I feel this way, therefore it must be right. Is that not you know what the, 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 the philosophy of this age? If you feel it, then it must be right. Because it's following the flesh that is opposed to the spirit. And that is not wisdom from above. Notice what it produces. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. This fallen wisdom produces envy and self-seeking, which in turn produces confusion and every evil thing. And if we're going to push out, again, God, we're going to be stupid. Chaos is going to be break, broken out, marked by debauchery, which will bring death. Does that sound like a good plan? But our flesh doesn't see it that way. It says, you're going to have a great time, and you're going to be honored, and it's going to be good, and God's even going to honor you, and God says, no. It's interesting, this this word confusion, it means disorder that comes out of instability. It's disorder that comes out of a lack of foundation, or where there is no foundation. 
Did not Jesus say in Matthew 7, the wise man is the one that hears my words and acts on them? He's like the man who built his house on the rock, and the storms came and beat on that house, and it stood because it was built on the rock. But the foolish man hears my sayings, and he ignores them, and he builds his house on the sand, and the storms come, and the house falls, and it's a great fall. That instability that comes from rejecting the wisdom of the word or even corrupting the wisdom of the word to promote ourselves. See, God's a God of order. There's order in his creation. There's order in his nature. There's order in nature. There's order in his word. He wants biblical order in his church. 1 Corinthians 14.40. Notice, let all things be done decently in order. All things. And in saying this, he's saying, do things biblical, then there will be order. And when there is disorder, it's because things are not being done in a biblical manner. There's not a stability there. There's not the stability of the scriptures. Instead, there's influence of the world, of the flesh, and of the wicked one. And look around our world today. There is a lack of order all over the place. Is there not? So much of what is called Christianism, it's God serving us, not us serving God. It's how God will come along and make all your wildest dreams come true. Not much said today about the sufferings of Christ. Not much said today about dying to self. Not much said today about repentance and taking up your cross and following the Lord because the flesh is, oh, that sounds so bad. But God says, listen, do this and you'll have abundant life. Trust me, have faith in me. But the flesh is, no, tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how I can live from my five senses and my best life ever now and all pleasures now. Tell me that that will be for my benefit here and there. And you're not going to find that in Scripture. God gives us what we need. And boy, he gives us plenty to enjoy, does he not? And boy, you talk about a lack of order and confusion in the world. I never thought I'd see the day. The world's changed so much. I know I talk about it often, but it's the subject matter of the day. It's so sad to see little boys being convinced they're little girls. That's not orderly. What are we going to say next? The sun is the moon and the moon is the sun? Because we just feel like it is? It's the same thing. Let's throw out all wisdom, all knowledge. Let's throw out what God said that from the beginning he made the male and female, and we're going to roll with what we feel. There's no stability in that. And sadly, this is going to be to the demise of these children. You got men behaving like women and women behaving like men. And it's sad because in most of those instances, It's the woman of the household convincing their daughters a boy or their boys a daughter. Not in all cases, but listen, this is not a knock on women. This is knock on men, not, you know what, walking in the role. Because listen, it was Eve that was deceived by the serpent. Adam followed along because he didn't want to lose his wife. And he loved her more than God. There's a lack of order there. God's order being ignored, and you see that in the world, and you see it in the church. 
And it goes on and on and on. There's this confusion all over the place. Like, are you a boy or a girl? I'm intersex. I'm both. Well, you're really confused. Monday I was this and Tuesday I was that. Yeah, there's an element of humor in it, but boy, that's earthly sensual and that is the doctrine of devils. My heart breaks. Don't make light of these things. Don't just sweep it under the carpet. Oh, that's okay. It's not. And again, you see the same disorder in the church in so many ways. What does this produce? Not a few evil things, but notice here, every evil thing. Where there's no stability, where there's no standard, anything goes. Where there's bitter envy and self-seeking, it takes you down a road of instability, confusion, and every evil thing. And make no mistake, there was more evil going on in the life of the Pharisees, even in the life of the hookers and the, the drug users who the Lord took the gospel to. I don't see him going in into whorehouses, turning over the beds, but he did that in the temple, did he not? Now, listen, they were all sinners that needed to repent. But that self-promotion was even worse because those men were wanting to deify themselves. These other people, they were more just wanting to please their five senses, and they needed to hear the truth to set them free, and the people that were supposed to give them the truth weren't. They were making it about them versus about the Lord. But this is how why fallen man does the wicked that he does. Pride produces a rebellion that makes us all susceptible to the most gross and rebellious activity if it's not put into check. I'll close on this. We've read this before. I encourage you to hear it afresh. Romans 1.28. For even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... We don't want wisdom from above. We don't want God in our knowledge. We don't want to know God. We don't want the word of God. They didn't like to do that. It says God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, notice here that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. And I'll tell you, the approving of that disorder biblically is as bad as actually doing it. And it's sad when you see so much of this disorder in the world and it being approved of in the church in so many circles. And it's happening. I've documented some of this. The documentation's out there. The evidence of it's out there. That's not loving anybody. That's rebellion. That's the lie in the garden. Let's be God. We don't need God. We know better than God. Well, again, Lord willing, on New Year's Day, a couple weeks, we're going to look at wisdom from us above, that's from above. So much different than this. 
And then, Lord willing, next weekend we'll look at Galatians 4 or 5. I want to read it to you. This is exciting. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Isn't that good news? Let's stand up and close in prayer. Lord, we praise you this morning, God. We need your grace. We need your mercy, Lord. I would hope and pray we won't be a people who lie against the truth. Give us faith to trust in you today. And Lord, if there's things this morning, God, that we need to lay before you, let us do that. If there's things we need to begin to be honest with you about, let us do that. We need your help, Lord. Look, and if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you've heard the gospel today. You heard the fact that we are sinners under the law. We're under condemnation. But Jesus came to set us free. Have you humbled your heart and asked him to be the Lord of your life? It's no small matter here. This is the most important decision of your life. What will you do with the person of Jesus Christ? Your eternity hinges on it. As we read, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And that might not seem like a big deal to you now, but boy, there'll be nothing bigger, nothing more important than when you give an account of your life. Because if we are found in our sin, we are going to hell forever. But if we are found in Christ, we will be redeemed and ushered into his presence forever. God's not going to bring rebellion into glory. He's not bringing death into glory. He's not bringing our wisdom and our way into glory. There will be no rot there. Humble your heart. Call on your maker today. He will meet you where you are at. Lord, help us right now to glorify you, to lift our voices to you. Lord, to wholeheartedly praise you. Lord, I know there's temptation to begin to put our minds on other things. Let us give you the praise as we close here together. We ask and pray these things in your name. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Keeper of the
uh, altar is going to be open if you want to come up here and spend some time in prayer or pray with someone up here. Uh, there's food out there waiting for you. Go enjoy that and encourage someone today. God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm